Now when the king, that was David, settled in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, the king said to the prophet Nathan, See now, I am living in a house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But the same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Are you the one to build me a house to live in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent and a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about among all the people, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel, whom I command to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep to be prince over my people. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all of your enemies before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so they may live in their own place and not be disturbed anymore, and evildoers shall afflict them no more, as formerly, from the time that I have appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will punish him with a rod such as mortals use, with blows inflicted by human beings. But I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. The word of the Lord. A couple of years ago, shock jock Howard Stern was interviewing actor Bill Murray, the Bill Murray of Caddyshack, Lost in Translation, Groundhog Day, and Saturday Night Live. Near the end of the interview, Howard Stern asks, is there something that you question in your life? Like, why haven't I found the great love of my life? Murray audibly exhaled and let a pensive moment of silence pass between the two of them. And then he said this, well, I, I think about that. I do think about that, you know. I'm not sure what, what I'm getting done here with my life on this earth. Well, what stopped you from getting in touch with you? Asked Robin Quivers, Mr. Stern's longtime co-host. Murray replied, You know, what stops us from looking at ourselves and seeing ourselves is that we're kind of ugly. If we really, if we really look hard, we're not who we think we are. We're not, uh, 
We're not as wonderful as we think we are. Okay, we have two stories before us today. The first story is about Jesus coming down from a high mountain, and the second story is about David climbing up his. In the first story, the story we call the transfiguration that happens every year before Lent begins, in this story, Jesus refuses to stay up on the mountain in that perfect setting with Moses and Elijah and God. Instead, he chooses, after an awkward exchange with the disciples, to come back down to where the rest of the disciples are, to where we are, down to the problems and discomforts and discouragements that are always there at the foot of the mountain, the things that are part and parcel to a life in this world. Down, if you read on in the passage, he comes eventually to his crucifixion. That's the first story. It's a story of someone coming down the mountain into the messiness of life. The second story is about somebody going up the mountain. In the second story, we find David at the peak of his brilliance, his high watermark. After years of struggle and wandering, David has finally reached the top. He has put the Philistines in their place. He has consolidated the country. North and south have come together. He's established a new capital, Jerusalem. Goliath is dead. Saul is dead. But David is very much alive and thankful for God's power and presence that has brought him to this place. And he wants to, much like the disciples, he wants to capture that moment and build a home, a house, a place where God can dwell. Like the disciples who reached the top, David wants to stay up there at that spot, on that perch, for as long as he possibly can. But in both cases, with the disciples and with David, God's response is no. This is not where you're supposed to be. There's a new book I'm dying to read with the best title ever. Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. It's a book by Dr. Kate Bowler. Perhaps you heard the interview this week with her on the radio. Dr. Bowler is a professor at Duke University. She is also the mother, a mother, and she's also someone who was recently diagnosed with terminal cancer. As Dr. Bowler, as Kate has learned to accept her illness and her term, terminal illness at that, she has discovered just how much she has been working to be perfect, to have it all. In a recent interview, Kate recounted, suddenly at age 35, I get this stage four cancer diagnosis, and just like that, a bomb went off, and everything around me is debris. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, did I actually maybe expect that everything was going to work out for me? And so I wrote the book more like a theological excavation project, like I was trying to get down to the studs of what I really expected from my life. And I think I was a lot more sure than I probably realized that I, I was pretty sure that I was the architect of my own life, that I could overcome anything with a little pluck and determination. I kind of pictured my life like it was this life enhancement project. And like my life is this big bucket and my job is to put all the things I can in the bucket. And the whole purpose is to figure out how to have as many good things as possible in that bucket coexisting at the exact 
same time. And then, when everything falls apart and the bottom of the bucket breaks, and you have to totally switch imagination, like maybe instead life is just vine to vine, and you're grabbing, like grabbing onto something, she writes, and you're just hoping for dear life, it doesn't break. King David's desire to build a sanctuary seems like a natural response to receiving a blessing from God. David is grateful, it seems, for his slow, steady rise, and he wants to do something for God that's on par with what God has done for him. This idea is so appealing that when David talks it over with his pastor, David, at first, when, sorry, David talks it over with his pastor, Nathan, Nathan, as we hear, is at first pretty enthusiastic about the building project. Property committee, go for it, great idea. But that night, that very night, God speaks to Nathan. And Nathan, the very next day, goes back to David and withdraws the building permit. David doesn't need to build something for God because God is already building something for him. In his poem, Little Gidding, T.S. Eliot writes, you are not here to verify, instruct yourself, or inform curiosity, or carry report. You are here to kneel. I think there's a really simple warning embedded in both these two stories before us today. And the warning is this. Don't fear the falls. Don't worry about the failures. Don't get alarmed at your mistakes. Don't sweat the sin and the stumbles. Worry instead about the success. Worry about the glorious rise. Worry about that moment when it comes when everything works out exactly as you have planned. Because it's in those moments, and not when we hit rock bottom, it's in those moments when we feel high and mighty that we forget who we are and who God is. I think most of you know what comes next in David's story. What goes up, after all, must come down. And pride certainly does come before the fall. If you flip a few pages in your Bible, in only a few chapters, after receiving a promise from God that his legend, his, uh, his kingdom would last forever, his lineage would reign for all of time, after receiving that amazing of a promise, I'm building for you an eternal kingdom, David. Relax, I got this. Only a few pages after that, David does the unthinkable. He orders one of his best soldiers to be killed so he can have the man's wife as his own. Instead of worshiping God, David starts to play God. What starts as gratitude quickly turns into pride as David looks to build on the perfection that he thinks defines his life. I have to be honest, I'm a little tired of this sermon series on perfection. It's hitting a little too close to home for me. <laughs> because truth be told, I really have come to believe 
that this quest for perfection, the, the quest for the perfect relationship or the perfect body or the perfect outfit or the perfect life or the perfect job or the perfect church or the perfect city or the perfect front yard just once. All of it is just an audition to play the part of God, to be in control, to have all the power. The trouble is, as we know from experience, we aren't meant to play that role. We don't have the chops to pull it off. We are meant to kneel. God is the beginning and the center and the end of all there is. But despite this truth, we are often so unaware of God's activity in our lives. We are so blind so often, it seems, to what God is doing in us and around us. And this blindness, I find, is especially true. We are most blinded when we are in full possession of our powers or when our education is complete or when our career is in full swing or when we feel we have arrived. It's hard to see God when you're up on the mountaintop because that is not where God is. God chooses to be down here in all this craziness, in this mess, in all these broken relationships and broken dreams and broken hopes and aspirations. God chooses to dwell. Jesus is pretty clear about this. Down here with us. And let me tell you a little secret. Down here, nothing, no one, nothing is perfect. Everyone and everything down here breaks. But the good news, if we can accept it, it's in those moments when we feel like we're defined by our faults, when we're so aware of our sin, when we feel like we failed yet again. It's in those moments that we have eyes to see what God is already doing in our life. You're not building me a house, God says. I'm building you one. When we stop trying to be perfect, and accept our limitations and the limitations of others and limitations of our life, our eyes slowly begin to open and we see all that God is giving us, has given us, and will give us. We are surrounded by such blessing. In a moment, as you heard, you will be invited, if you like, you don't have to, to come down and either place on the pot planners or in the planners a piece from one of the plates that you wrote, um, areas in your life where you struggle with brokenness. Two things I wanted to tell you about the plates. First of all, um, thank you for writing what you did. You were honest and open about the areas in your life you struggle with. You may not know, but the week after you did that, early in the week, a member of this church came in, was going through a difficult time in their life when an expectation hadn't come to pass. Talking to Amy Kim, talking to me, we're like, hey, do you want to help us out with something? He's like, sure. What? You want to break some plates? <laughs> yeah. We laid, Amy Kim laid the perfection out there and put a sheet over it, right? And took a hammer and recorded it. One after another. So we're going to 
take those pieces and put them on the pots or in the pots. We're not going to finish today. It's okay. One little piece is enough for right now. But after church, if you want to come help out and finish the project, you can. We probably won't finish them today, but we will at some point. We'll put them out with life inside them. And I hope when you see these broken yet beautiful pots with life inside, you remember the fundamental truth we spend our whole lives trying to ignore or forget or not think is true, and that is that God loves you as you are. There is no ideal life, ideal experience, ideal performance level that God is looking for from you. That's not how God works. God receives us as we are, not as we or others want us to be. We are not who we think we are. We are not, we are not as wonderful as we think we are. And that's more than okay. So I want to end this sermon series on perfection with a portion of a poem entitled The Invitation by Uriah Mountain Dreamer. It's one of my favorite poems, and I like to imagine Jesus speaking these words to me, to us, as we come down from our mountain, as we come down from the failure, the loss, the pain, back into the beautiful messiness, sacred messiness of life. Listen to what Jesus, I think, is saying to you. It doesn't interest me what you do for a living. I want to know what you ache for and if you dare to dream of meeting your heart's longing. It doesn't interest me how old you are. I want to know if you will risk looking like a fool for love, for your dreams, for the adventure of being alive. It doesn't interest me what planets are squaring your moon. I want to know if you've touched the center of your own sorrow, if you have been opened by life's betrayals where I become shriveled and closed for fear of further pain. I want to know if you can sit with pain, mine or your own, without moving to hide it or fade it or fix it. I want to know if you can be with joy, mine or your own, if you can dance with wildness and let the ecstasy fill you the tips of your fingers and toes without cautioning us to be careful, be realistic, to remember the limitations of being human. It doesn't interest me if the story you're telling is true. I want to know if you can disappoint another to be true to yourself. If you can bear the accusation of betrayal and not betray your own soul. If you can be faithless and therefore trustworthy. I want to know if you can see beauty even when it's not pretty every day. And if you can source your own life from its presence. I want to know if you can live with failure, yours and mine, and still stand on the edge of the lake and shout to the silver of the moon, yes. Amen.